Hello there, and welcome to The Road to Nicaea, Christ, Creed, and Controversy in the Turbulent Fourth Century, part of the Earth and Altar Podcast Network. Supplemental, Orb Bodies for Everyone, The Oddities of Origin. I hope that last week's episode made it clear that Origen was a genius. In the centuries since his death, Origen has suffered the fate of most geniuses. His most brilliant ideas passed into the theological mainstream and have become so commonplace that nobody remembers to give him credit for them anymore. Meanwhile, his more eccentric, out-there, and controversial opinions were not adopted by anyone else, so they are remembered as distinctly his. Origen is therefore today mostly known for his wackiest opinions and the strangest rumors about him, rather than for the bulk of his work. This is obviously a very sad state of affairs for him, and one that makes church historians cluck with disapproval when people mention his legacy. And we will, of course, follow their lead and duly pick up with Origen's contributions to the Christian mainstream next time. Because what church historians usually forget is that it's really fun to talk about somebody else's wacky opinions and hot takes, especially when that person is a genius. So today, we are dedicating a supplemental episode to the best-known and least-trod paths in Origen's thought. The wild and wonderful speculations that made him a controversial figure in the centuries after his own death, and that would eventually lead to his condemnation as a heretic in the 6th century. Is this episode relevant to the plot of our story? No. Is it edifying? Not particularly. But it is, I think, a lot of fun, so I hope you will join me on this little side excursion as we take a break from our relentless trek towards Nicaea. So let's begin with the title issue. Origen apparently thought that at the Second Coming, all people would be resurrected in bodies shaped like orbs. He wrote a whole treatise on the resurrection in which he explained why he thought this is the case. Tragically, that treatise is now lost to history. However, given what we know of Origen's philosophical background, his reasons are not too hard to guess. You see, Origen's outlook basically followed an ancient philosophical school called Neoplatonism, which synthesized the insights of Plato with Aristotle and several other prominent ancient philosophers as well. Neoplatonists were fascinated by geometry. Many philosophers have been fascinated by geometry across history, in fact, because geometry has the extraordinary power of being able to tell you things about the world without requiring you to get out and study the world. Think back, if you can bear it, to your high school geometry class. At some point, your teacher probably drew a triangle on the board, and on the basis of a bunch of rational proofs that you were tediously forced to memorize and regurgitate, your teacher proved all sorts of useful things, like the Pythagorean theorem, or the relationships between side lengths and angles. This is really practical stuff. We use it every time we build a bridge or design a house. And we can learn it all, not from going out and observing the world, but from sitting around and thinking really hard about triangles. For philosophers, professional sitters around and hard thinkers, this was a very appealing notion. 
as you might imagine, one of the things that they spent a lot of time thinking about was what the best shape was. And the answer that philosophers usually gave was a sphere. A sphere was the only shape that displayed perfect symmetry in all three dimensions, and the math describing a sphere was quite elegant, so people thought it was the best, most rational, and just most sensible shape. Origen probably thought that since all bodies would be made perfect in the resurrection, they would be the perfect shape, which was obviously a sphere. I do not believe that we will have orb bodies in the resurrection. But I am quite fond of this theory. However, I think Origen missed the strongest argument for it. Spheres are not the best shape because they're symmetrical. Spheres are the best shape because they are the bounciest shape. I do sometimes like to imagine that in the world to come we will all be big bouncy spheres and the angels will fly us up high and drop us on the ground where we can bounce up and down while singing God's praises. It's like an eternal trampoline park, but with music, too. It's a very charming image, even if it's not an accurate one. Resurrected bodily shape aside, Origen had another highly controversial belief about the end of all things. Origen may have said that all creatures, even the devil, would eventually attain salvation. Now, it's important to know that Origen did not deny the existence of hell. Rather, there are times when Origen seems to say that hell is not eternal. Origen believed this, like most things, because of his close study of the Bible. So take Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, which says that the wicked will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, the Greek word that usually gets translated as eternal can also be translated as for an age or for a length of time meaning that the punishments of hell don't necessarily last forever. There are also passages in the Bible, especially in Paul's letters, that imply that everyone will eventually be reconciled with God. Origen was particularly moved by 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, when Paul says that at the end of history, God will be all in all. So Origen appears to have concluded that hell was real, but its purpose was to purify and educate. Those who had not found God in this earthly life would spend a period of time in hell, which, while unpleasant, would convince them of the error of their ways and prepare them for the eternal joy of heaven. Once that age of punishment was over, they would join the righteous there. Now this view is called apocatastasis, and it is held by some theologians today, most notably David Bentley Hart. Now, you should know that there is a lot of debate among scholars over what exactly Origen believed about the last things. For starters, in some of his later letters, Origen seems to have denied that he ever taught that the devil would be saved. In his commentary on John, Origen flat out states that he doesn't know if hell is eternal or not. On the other hand, there are many passages in On First Principles, his best known work, that sound pretty certain that all things will be fully restored to God. It's entirely possible that Origen changed his mind on the matter, or at least changed his level of confidence. There is also one scholar who suggests that Origen didn't think we'd have orb bodies, and that the word we translate as spherical actually means something like mysterious. Regardless, 
I do kind of hope that Origen's beliefs are as I have described them, because that allows me to imagine him as a third-century Oprah Winfrey, saying to every person in the congregation that you get an orb body, and you get an orb body, everybody gets an orb body! It is an image that makes me smile, and since I am not currently a serious scholar of Origen, I get to hold on to it until it is proven to be false, even if it's not very likely. Now, speaking of bodies, there's a very nasty rumor about Origen's body that we touched on in the main episode. Since ancient times, there has been a rumor that Origen castrated himself. The story goes that as a young man, Origen read Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, in which Jesus says that there are some who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Origen supposedly took this as an endorsement and joined the ranks of those voluntary eunuchs. Now, there is no hard evidence at all that this story is true. Scholarly opinion on the issue ranges from, yeah, he definitely didn't do that, to, I mean, maybe he did that, but it's not especially likely. Ancient defenders of Origen accuse his bishop Demetrius of starting this rumor, and there's an obvious advantage to it, which is that men who had castrated themselves were not allowed to become priests. So Demetrius, who hated Origen's ordination, had a pretty good reason to start this particular rumor. The other reason this story is improbable is because, as we'll discuss next episode, Origen is famous for his symbolic, allegorical interpretations of the Bible. There's a long-running joke that if Origen took Matthew chapter 19, verse 12 literally, it was the only Bible passage he ever took literally. So, no, Origen probably didn't castrate himself. But once a rumor like that gets out, it tends to be a hard thing to stop. And the controversies around Origen have been forever shaped by his rumored desire for eunuchhood. There's one other odd anecdote that I want to relate about Origen to you. He commented on almost the whole Bible, and in the course of doing so, he occasionally made interpretations that got other scholars really mad. One of those is his interpretation of the story of the Witch of Endor. Contrary to what you might think, that story is not a discarded subplot from Star Wars Return of the Jedi. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 28, and it goes like this. King Saul, the first king of Israel, is having a bad time of it. He has a massive military battle with his enemies coming up, and he tries to predict the future to see if he will win or not. But all of his prophets and divining techniques fail to give an answer. So the only method left is to seek out a necromancer who can speak to the dead. There's just one problem. Judaism forbids necromancy, and King Saul had previously killed or exiled all of the necromancers in Israel. So Saul sneaks across enemy lines to consult a necromancer living in the enemy town of Endor. Once there, he gets her to summon his old frenemy, the prophet Samuel. Samuel returns from the dead and is very cranky about this whole being summoned bit. He yells at Saul for consulting with a witch, yells at him for whining about his troubles when Samuel told him this would happen while he was still alive. But did he listen then? No! And then Samuel yells at him for disturbing his rest. Saul walks away thoroughly discouraged and dies in battle the next day. Now this story presented something of a problem for early Christians, because it seemed to imply that the necromancer had power over the soul of Samuel and could summon him at will. No good Christian thought that the soul of a holy person could be controlled in this way. 
So what is going on? Some interpreters thought that this story was an elaborate trick. The witch had summoned a demon who imitated Samuel to discourage Saul. But Origen, faithful to the text, thought this was no good. The Bible didn't say that a demon imitating Samuel had appeared. The Bible said that Samuel had appeared. So what do we make of this? Well, here's Origen's theory. Before Jesus was born, God had sent the prophets to prepare the way and proclaim the news that Jesus was coming. Now, it was an article of faith that after his death, Jesus had descended into hell to proclaim the good news there. Why wouldn't God send the prophets to hell first, so that those in hell would get the same proclamation that those on earth had gotten? So, Origen assumed that Samuel, fresh in the grave, was doing his mandatory stint in the underworld when his proverbial phone started buzzing. Samuel was not compelled to appear before Saul, but he was so mad that Saul was still on his nonsense that he decided to appear and give his old frenemy one last holy telling off. As with his theory of the end of all things, I find this oddity fascinating. It's a theory that only Origen could have come up with, drawing a creative parallel with Prophet's earthly work to explain how a prophet could have been somewhere other than heaven. I am also charmed by the idea that the prophets trotted all up and down creation to announce the coming of the Christ, even after death. Few follow this particular interpretation today, but there's no denying Origen had style. So what happened to Origen? How did he go from being a titan of the early church to condemnation as a heretic? Well, the story is longer than I can tell here, but there are two basic problems. The first is that Origen, through no fault of his own, often sounded a little bit like Arius. The second is that Origen's followers were neither as brilliant nor as orthodox as he. Both of these problems came to a head in the 500s, with a group of monks who claimed lineage from Origen's disciples. These monks said that all human beings had started off as equal to Jesus and would become equal to Jesus at the end of time. You can kind of see the combination of beliefs happening here. Arius's lowering of the sun combined with Origen's apocatastasis to produce this belief. Now, of course, apocatastasis was controversial even in Origen's day. Combine this with the suspicion that Origen had denigrated Christ by claiming we could be his equal, and that was enough. In 553, the Second Council of Constantinople declared these monks heretics, and Origen too for good measure. The emperor ordered Origen's works burnt, and just like that, we lost one of the greatest treasures of antiquity. It's probably clear by now that I hold a particular fondness for Origen of Alexandria. I'm not alone in this. Around the world, there are people who pray for Origen's canonization. One of my favorite icons is called Origen Teaching the Saints. I'll link to it in the episode description. The icon shows Origen in a pulpit preaching from a scroll that reads, Attend above all else to the reading of the scriptures. In his congregation are all of the most important Christian saints of the early church. All of them are listening with rapture to Origen's word. All of them are surrounded by halos. The only one missing a halo is the teacher himself, Origen of Alexandria. That icon, to my mind, sums up the debt the entire church owes to this man. 
Outside of the apostles themselves, nobody else influenced more saints and theologians. No one else had a larger impact on how the church thinks about and worships God. No one else had a more foundational impact on biblical studies and systematic theology and preaching. And no one else was more unjustly condemned on the basis of others' words about him rather than his own. Origen was not always right. Sometimes his views were dangerously wrong. And sometimes, as we've discussed today, they were just quite funny. But in each of those cases, he had the courage to speak and write in a world in which it was still not clear what beliefs were acceptable and which were wrong. Even his errors are the foundations that we build upon, if only by negation. In so many ways, Origen was the first. We'll continue exploring his legacy next time, as we explore his and other writers' contributions to the early doctrine of the Trinity. I hope you've enjoyed this aside, and I invite you to join me next time as we resume our main journey along the road to Nicaea. This is an Earth and Altar Podcast Network production. For more podcasts and weekly articles, visit us at earthandaltermag.com. Uh-huh.